High School Slumber Party is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage Club related, head on over to cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Welcome, soul fans, religious people, samba fans, groovies, and an extra special shout out to the coolest gangster in the city of God. This is High School Slumber Party, the podcast where me and some friends look back at our teenage years through the lens of some iconic high school centric films. I'm Ryan Rodriguez, and the party's at my place this evening. But first, school's still in session, and we have some homework to chat about. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. First, please excuse my voice. It is a very rough allergy season here in the Northeast. We had a mild winter, and apparently that's what happened, so I apologize for that. But homework, as always, is to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a five-star review or a positive rating of some sort, right? And don't forget to check out all the other great shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. That's cageclub.me, cageclub.me, including, but not limited to, my other regular show, the other regular show I host with the great Mike Manzi, Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar, where we talk the films of Francis Ford Coppola. Also, remember, class participation is a huge part of your grade. So follow us on social media, High School Slumber Party everywhere, as well as my personal Twitter, O-H-M-Y Rodriguez. That's O-M-Y Rodriguez. I never had a blue check, so you don't have to worry about that. Today, of course, we're talking the legendary City of God. Oh, I cannot wait. Our guests are Kyle Reinfried and Danny Kim. But before that, more homework. Did you check out our interview with Patrick Reed Johnson, by the way? Of course, he's the director of Angus and a new-er movie, I'll say. (laughs) If you did do your homework and listen to that interview, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Check it out. It's awesome to get an actual established film director on High School Slumber Party. It's a pretty big deal. want to thank my good friend from north of the border, Ryan Stick, for hooking that up. But Patrick Reed Johnson, it is an awesome interview. We get some cool, I think, exclusives. And if they're not exclusives, they're just cool things to know. He talks about his new film, 52577. He talks about Angus. He talks about some other projects and leaves us with a tease. So definitely check that episode out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The bell does not dismiss you. I dismiss you. If you're trying to leave because the velvety tones are not here and you're getting weirdo allergy voice, I apologize. But we have to power through. That's what we do here in the slumber party in our super senior year. Yeah, I guess that's where we are. I am not even keeping track. I'm in the delirium of high school and I love it. (laughs) Speaking of high school, I've been seeing a lot of high school films lately. Well, in general, 
I've been going to the theater a lot more. I know we're still technically in some sort of pandemic, but are we? I don't even know if legally we are in. COVID's coming back, though. Regardless, you don't want to hear that. (laughs) I went to the theater the other day to see the film Air. Not a high school-related film, but I love basketball. And I loved that film. But I also have been seeing some old nostalgia things, right? Uh, Me and my wife went to go see a screening of Dazed and Confused. And, oh, my goodness. I might want to cover that again on High School Slumber Party. Definitely check that old episode out in the archives, but if you don't, just watch Days and Confused, a classic, an almost perfect teen film, maybe a perfect one, I don't know, I'll have to watch it again, 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 because it was just great seeing it in that theater format, I was all in once again, and I think today, as of when I post this podcast, I'll be seeing a screening of Clueless with my wife, and you know I'm a Clueless fan, that's going to be super fun. While it's really, really important to see the new movies, side plug for High School Slumber Party AP with Island Addington and myself, where we cover the new movies, check those episodes out. It is also good to go back and see the nostalgia things, and not just from the comfort of your couch. I get if you don't feel comfortable, that's totally fine. I mean, comfortable going to the theater. But if you do feel comfortable going to the theater... If Vin Diesel has convinced you to leave your home and watch movies at the movies, sometimes, like, you know, check for some of these nostalgia screenings. They can be really, really fun. Just put it in Google and be like, hey, any old movies showing near me? Is Ferris Bueller's Day Off screening? I think in the summer, a lot of theaters will will run some of the older films, if you will, the oldies but goodies, and it is great to see them in that experience because, like, I, for most of the movies we cover here in High School Slumber Party, I did not see them in the theater. Just to see them in that immersive format without the cell phone is an amazing experience. That's part of the reason why I've enjoyed going to the movies in the last couple weeks, going to the actual cinema. It's because I have no self-control, right? When I watch a movie at home, yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm getting into it, but I'm in podcast mode so i'm taking notes even if i'm not doing a podcast on it i'm googling things who's that actor what's that dude doing wait did i miss something here i wonder where they shot this right i'm doing that on my phone constantly and i'm sure it's annoying to the person i'm watching the movie with if i'm watching a movie with somebody it's annoying to me i love being forced to shut off my phone when i get into the cinema and just focus in the dark And that really makes me notice some things that I don't really notice. I'm going to try to do that more at home, but it's just so hard. Dogs are barking. People are texting you. Sports scores are popping up on your phone, even if you don't want them to. I don't know. The movies are one of the last places that can really forcibly shut you away from your phone if you have no self-control like me. (laughs) All right. Today's episode, as I mentioned, is on City of God. Your homework was to watch the movie. And I'm trying something a little different from now on. Instead of giving you the assignments ahead of time on the podcast, I'm going to drop them in social media exclusively, right? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So check it out there if you really want a heads up on what your homework is going to be. And if not, well, you're out of luck. So definitely follow us on social media. And since I am doing it this way from now on, I'm going to start playing 
the trailer or parts of the trailer at the beginning of the episode to get you immersed in what we're about to talk about. So here's the trailer for City of God. Nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Adapted Screenplay. Rio de Janeiro, the beach, the nightlife, the romance. But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. that's an old school trailer and i don't know it makes me feel old because again that's not a movie from like the 80s it's a movie from this century that i remember distinctly watching for the first time as a semi-adult so oof, we don't do trailers like that anymore right where it's just like on the streets of rio de janeiro or in a world where <laughs> when did that become out of style i gotta look that up Anyway, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. As I mentioned, Kyle Reinfried of Foodie Films is here. We went to high school together. I've known him since 2001. Danny Kim is here as well. Firefighter, photographer, Mr. Time Magazine cover himself. I've known him since, I think, 1997. That's crazy. (laughs) Just a bunch of old friends hopping on a Zoom and talking about a movie that changed us in high school. So pack your favorite jammies, tell your mother to me over Brian's, because we're about to get our party on. Let's see, I'll leave you with something from the soundtrack, anything good. How about this one? O Camino do Bem. Sorry, my Portuguese is not that good. By Tim Maia. Class dismissed. O Camino do Bem. Welcome back to my good high school friends, the high school slumber party. Danny Kim, Kyle Reinfried. Do, do you remember? It's been a while. Do you remember how to introduce yourself in the high school slumber party mode? Uh, yeah, I remember. Let me give it a shot. Hi, I'm Danny Kim. I graduated from Northern Valley Old Man High School, and our high school mascot were the Golden Knights. Nice. So, Kyle, this should be easy for you. <laughs> yes, this is Kyle Reinfried. I, I went to Northern Valley Regional High School at Old Japan as well. Class of 05. Go Golden Knights. Nice, nice. Well, we've been tr- trying to do this episode in particular for a while. It's funny because, like, they're teens in this movie. I guess it's not teens that we particularly, like, would relate to, unless there's things about your life I don't know. No, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> You're Tiago, Kyle. <laughs> Why? 
<laughs> no, but uh, this is a movie that would like really impacted me as a teenager, as a young adult. I'm sure you guys too. I think we saw it around the same time. We're talking City of God today. Been wanting to talk this movie for a long time. So let's just get into it. Do you remember the first time either of you guys watched City of God? Yes, it was in Mr. Housley's film, films class. Same here, but you were the year before me. Right. Yeah, that was that was the first time I saw it. And it was one of the few movies that I went out of the way to buy a copy of on DVD. Yeah. I mean, I think we all saw it in high school. It's just 2002. We went to high school in 2001. Graduated 05, as you said. So this is right in our wheelhouse for all that. So I didn't take films, but he must have shown it also in Humanities for some reason. Because I definitely remember watching it in in that class. And, you know, I bought the DVD as well. I had the poster hanging up in my dorm. I was super into City of God at the time. I was like, whoa. Like, you know, it was like a mind-blowing thing. And for me, my first impressions, like, were, oh, a foreign movie? That's interesting. But it made me feel cool to watch, like, a movie that wasn't, like, quote-unquote mainstream, right? It was so mainstream because it was, like, the hottest independent and foreign film of the era. But when you're in high school and, like, most of the movies you're exposed to are, like, the hits, like, Lord of the Rings movies and Star Wars movies, and then, like, this gets shown to you and you're like, whoa. Like, it just gives you a different way of thinking about like film and thinking about just people in general. I know that sounds like super overarching and corny, but like that's how it felt at the time, you know? Um, Housley would recommend these movies or he'd have these posters. It was our film, our like English left films teacher in high school. And I, I watched all of them, like Motorcycle Diaries and I don't know, other stuff. I can't yeah, remember. You had a poster of Momento, I remember. And Amelie. Amelie, yeah, yeah. Did he have uh, E2 Mama Tambien? Did he have that poster? I saw that. He definitely had Motorcycle Diaries. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle, you and I covered E2 Mama Tambien on this podcast, but that's like definitely in in, in in the same wheelhouse there. What else? I mean, stuff like even Eternal Sunshine, right? Like, yes, that was definitely a poster in his room. Yep. 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 Such a cool era. Focus features. Anything. Focus features fucking made. I would try to watch in the theater. You know what I mean? I, I like. I have such a big nostalgia for independent, and I use quotes but like independent films of that era. So yeah, how did how did City of God make you feel originally when you guys watched it? Stupid because I can't read fast. <laughs> Is, are you being serious? <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Like it was just like it's a movie that like. In general, I mean, I think most movies you'll appreciate upon multiple viewings, but that was a movie that I definitely needed to watch a few times to digest everything, especially the dialogue, since you're like, because it's such a visually intoxicating movie that I'm just, and I'm such a visual person, I'm just staring at it and then forgetting to, you know, read the words and then or then also it's also a very fast-paced movie so then that as well i would get lost sometimes and on top of that it's a lot of characters so i mean as far as watching it in a film analysis class pretty great because we did a breakdown and we studied all the characters so on and so forth so that made a bit more sense doing this 
you know, break, and even in the film itself, he's just like, this is this person. We're not going to get to their story yet. I definitely remember getting a little lost the first time, but very much being entranced with it because I, I mean, I don't really think I'd seen anything else like that in either. Uh, well, at that time, it was considered a foreign film. Now, an international film, and uh, you know, or a domestic film as well. I don't think I'd ever seen anything like that. So, really captivated me, but deserved multiple viewings for me to truly appreciate it. Yeah, I've had similar uh, initial reaction like you, Brian. Where you know, I was kind of it was kind of in that phase where I was starting to watch movies that were foreign and I guess more indie. And expanding my sort of my my taste in movies, so I definitely felt like, oh, like this is a like this is one of the this is probably one of the coolest movies I've ever seen. You know, like oh, oh it's like foreign, it's indie, and I was like, oh yeah, like I know I know cinema now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it definitely is one of those great films that like like if you wanted to be like i know what i'm talking about you like you name dropped it at the time no i'm not saying you specifically i'm just saying uh, but that but I that see. movie uh but i feel like city of god was definitely very mainstream out of the foreign movies you know so yeah yeah you're not you're not you're nothing special if you saw this movie no but you felt like you were yeah you know <laughs> at the time for sure um, oh, and Garden then, State was another movie, by the way. Oh, Garden State, yeah, Garden State. I mean, I'm just thinking all the posters in the room. Yeah, <laughs> talked about that on this podcast as well. But, but Dan, not to blow up your spot and call you out, but in addition to being a friend and, and and a good human being, you are also a photographer, and this movie is about a photographer. Did you make that connection early on, like your love of photography in this film, or is that something that maybe came later? Um, I think the first time I watched it, I, I didn't really make that connection. You know, I just watched the movie, but after watching a few more times, you know, I was, I was always into photography before watching this movie. And it was all I really knew was photographing people on skateboards or BMX bikes. <laughs> but <laughs> the, the idea of becoming a photojournalist never dawned on me until I, I uh, saw this movie mostly for like really superficial reasons. Cause I was like, Oh man, like you can be a photojournalist and, you know, like go in like the ghetto or the slums and take pictures of gangsters and like get paid for it. Like, Oh, that seems so edgy and cool. <laughs> it does seem cool still to me today. Um... Yeah, but I wanted to be like rocket after seeing well, it a few times. Well, that next summer you had a call rock call you rocket that whole summer. So yeah. Buscapa. <laughs> I think like a year or two after graduating from high school, I got a freelance photographer job at North Jersey Media, which is which is the suburbanite newspapers. I don't even know if that's still in print. Oh, yeah. Remember the suburbanite? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, it is. <laughs> and uh, they gave me a press pass, and you know, it's just like this cheap little. North Jersey media press pass card and it's got your little photo on it. I think I had to make it myself, like get my own like passport photo taken, put it on that piece of paper and then like laminate it. So it's like nothing official. Like, I, think, I think like the font on the on the press pass was like it was like a Comic Sans MS. It was like it looked stupid. It, looked, it like it didn't look official at all. But I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. And like I would like wear that press pass when I'd go to these like events to photograph around 
North Jersey and like I didn't need that. It's like I didn't need like special access to like <laughs> photograph uh I don't know like a parade. Like like but, yeah, uh, but, exactly a but, parade or like a or like a DUI like mothers against drunk driving meeting at like a high school gymnasium. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes you feel like you're a part of something, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's... yeah. I thought it was at the time. I mean, it was it was pretty cool because uh, I had one assignment back to uh, our high school, and uh, I think it was a story about Housley actually, how he was coming back to doing the uh, directing the high school musical program, and the article was about Housley and his like return to directing, and uh, I took photographs of him directing the kids doing. Uh, What's that musical? The funny thing happened along the forum. Oh yeah, funny thing happened yeah, on the way to the forum. Yeah. yeah, he saw me. He saw me with my camera and my pa- press pass, and he's like, "Ooh, like I gotta start calling you Rocket now." <laughs> really? Did he say that? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that too. I was like, I thought I was. Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I am fucking Rocket. <laughs> I took that as a compliment. I mean, yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to be Rocket. I'd love to be most people in this movie. I mean, okay, no, to be clear, no, I would not love to be most people in this movie. But like, there's a coolness factor when you said that this movie was cool. Watching it back then, even now, I'm like, this is a fucking cool movie. Like, I remember in college, and like, you know, I'd be talking to a girl and be like, oh, come over to my place for a movie, and like, this would be one of them that I would put on, right? Like, in my dorm, like, yeah, let's watch City of God. Like, oh. What city of God? Boom, you know. City of God with the city of God poster in your room. Huh. Looking back, not a cool look. Looking back, I think it was something more like, oh, you know, I'd bring him to my dorm for one reason. Like, oh, what's that? Wait, you've never seen City of God? Oh, I got the DVD right here. You know, I think that was more the play, but yeah. Hey. <laughs> It, it worked at no, the time. I, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, it's Come, not like I was even coming close to doing anything like that. So that's fine. Kyle, um, if you tried that today, if 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 you were single and tried that today, that wouldn't work as well. You know what I mean? Like, hey, come over no. and watch this DVD. What and what movie would it be that you would have the poster on the wall, <laughs> the TV, and present that DVD like to your potential date or girlfriend? Well, I had for a while in my childhood bedroom. I don't have any movie posters in my apartment. So. Shocking. Actually, I, I, wow, guess the, happened, I, guess, I guess the closest is, and I'm looking at it right now, is the artwork by the original artist for Jaws. And, it look, and it's the movie poster without like movie info on it. Like it's just the, the illustration of the shark, the Jaws yeah, poster? Yes, literally. Yeah. Roger Castell. What if what if, the, what if you the, walk home yeah. a date and the girl the girl was like she like points at that picture and she's like what is that how would you react I would uh, <laughs> I would be like uh, that's that's from Jaws and then she was like what's Jaws I'd be like let's I'll do this it. and then we'll talk about it you're you're a little <laughs> you're a little pretentious Kyle in a way that like you wouldn't be able to like hold it in. Like, oh, that's a movie. That's a Spielberg film. You know, like, like you'd be like, Wait, you don't know Jaws. Like, you'd be thinking, maybe you wouldn't say it, but you. No, not thinking, in that moment. You'd be thinking, <laughs> you'd be like, that it's bitch doesn't know Jaws. The fuck. Like, you wouldn't be able to resist your, like your, condescending like way where it's like you'll kind of like roll your eye and then you look at her from the corners of your eye and be like, 
uh, it's like a movie directed by Steven Spielberg. Like you would be like, you'd be like very, your voice would be very low. You talk really fast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my oldest friends. <laughs> Put uh-huh. yourself back into school, like when we were in college. What were the posters? Maybe you, on your dorm walls. What were the posters you saw on other people's dorm walls for movies? <laughs> All right, I had the most cliche of like a John Belushi from Animal House. <laughs> of course, wait with the college uh, shirt. Yeah, but like, <laughs> like more like a portrait kind of thing, like an Uncle Sam. Like I want you, but it didn't say anything. Like gotcha. Back, like uh taxi driver nice it's pretty cool you have a i mean that's cool but that's like a guy that is going insane i had a scarface poster (laughs) no i did not have uh, i i didn't when my episode of mtv cribs people saw it uh no what else did i have or what Uh, else did you see because like fight club was big in my school like a lot of people had fight club posters oh yeah fight Fight Club was big. Oh, in women in girls' dorms because I was in <laughs> so many of those. Uh, mean Girls was a big one. Oh, really? They had the poster. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Legally Blonde. I remember mm-hmm. what's in the girls' dorms more than the guys' dorms. Three Hundred was probably a big one once that came out. Three Hundred. I had Royal Tenenbaums. I had City of God. I think I eventually <laughs> bought The Science of Sleep. I think I had Eternal Sunshine. I wish I could go back there and just like analyze those posters. Did you have an election one? I could see you having an election one. No, I didn't, but I should have. I should have had a sideways one too. I would have liked to have that one. Pulp Fiction, I remember seeing in people's dorms. Not movies, but there was always a lot of Bruce Lee, I feel like. Well, yeah, we've gone over this. The kiss, the two lesbians kissing was a big one. We bought, speaking of that, me and my dorm, my suite for the common area, we bought a poster of a pornographic film that none of us had seen because it was way too much money, but it was called pirates. It was like a pirates of the Caribbean parody, but it was like the most expensive porn mill film made at the time. And like okay. I don't know, the poster was on like the primitive Amazon or whatever was out at then. They were like, fuck it. Let's just buy it. And it was just like this, like porn star pirate lady. And that's like what people would walk into. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> yeah. Bye junior year when i where i had like more, more like a common area and stuff like that i remember my uncle gave me a bunch of like old uh like vintage like heineken women posters oh like nice that, that your was, uncle had that yeah yeah he went to the university of maryland and still had them and oh, a really big a turf. like a would that be yeah like almost like three and a half feet by like Five foot Captain Morgan poster. <laughs> it's huge. I, I'm I sent it in the in the Google chat. This was the poster we had in our dorm. I'm sorry, in the uh, Zoom chat. It's the poster we had in our dorm. Oh, oh, oh I remember. I remember that. Jesse, <laughs> Jane. I like the close up of everyone's eyes right now. Jesse, Jane, Tegan, <laughs> Tegan Presley. Oh man, the dorm poster clutch. I wonder if kids still have dorm posters, or is that like past? Yeah, there? no, like, they like, definitely do. Of they movies, do. like what movies do you think they have today? I mean, for, I'm sure for a long time it's like Marvel ones or some shit like that. You think so? In college, a Marvel film? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's pretentious. I feel like there's not like those big, like big budget indie films as much anymore. Maybe it's just like the, you know, they probably have a Parasite. Like I could see that being on people's 
a poster of you know yeah yeah i'm sure yeah but there's probably everything everywhere all at once yeah. posters now or uh yeah parasite won that one year what one last year coda i don't, I don't know, know coda posters but yeah city of god a cool effing movie of that era of course it is a brazilian film portuguese in language based on a novel by paulo Lins. it's semi-autobiographical which always confused me even confusing me in research because at the end it's like, oh, by the way, this is my name and it's my story. And I'm like, oh, shit, he's a real guy. But like Rocket is not a real person. It's just somewhat based on the writer. Um, but it is considered one of the greatest Brazilian novels of all time. It's from 99. And by that point, they were like, we got to adapt this. So this, this one came out in 2002. So it didn't take that long. Just quickly, before we get into like more of the production, uh, City of God, actual neighborhood in Rio. It's often called a favela, but like it's not one of the main favelas you think of when you see that like Rio skyline and like you see the ones by the beach. It was actually created to kind of clear out those inner city favelas. It was on the outskirts of Rio at the time. It's not now because Rio has expanded. Um, and you kind of see that in the movie, right? Like in the first. Like, oh, yeah, they kind of explain that in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you see like the 60s, right? It looks like it's like the frontier almost and by the end of it it's clearly in in the city so directors fernando marialis and katia lund i had no idea this was directed by two people like until i watched it this time i thought it was just fernando marialis yeah i Uh, I didn't hear about uh, katia lund until i watched it again last night and i was kind of reading up on her and she seemed like she had a you know a couple of different intentions to bringing this movie out to sort of, you know, make the public more aware of these uh, favelas and life in the favelas. Yeah, I read that she she first worked on the Spike Lee music video, They Don't Care About Us. That Michael oh, Michael Jackson, Jackson. yeah, in Brazil. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. That experience, you know, kind of changed her uh, views on these favelas and opened, like, kind of, she wants to like raise social awareness of it in Brazil. And then she had a, it says like she had like a controversial relationship or friendship with a deceased Brazilian drug dealer, Marcino VP. But I don't know who that is. Cause I tried Googling Marcino VP and I don't know if like that's the actual guy's name or if that's like a title in like the, oh. know, the drug ring, but it seems like there's more than one people in that sort of with that title but anyway she um i didn't i didn't realize she was involved in this movie. me either so definitely want to give a shout out to her because if you told me who directed yeah. it i thought it was fernando the entire time in 100 percent, right she was also the first assistant director on anaconda oh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where i recognized her work <laughs> <laughs> okay this all makes sense now. <laughs> yeah did, did you guys know what a favela was before seeing this movie I did. Because, I doubt it. Because I was Mr. Ge- Geography. But this definitely brought it to the forefront for like the American audience. Well, I think that's fine. Yeah, true. Later on, the Fast and Furious 5 did it. No. <laughs> Brazil! It definitely highlighted exactly what it was. And I don't think even the first couple of watches I like got it completely right. How much this film was about... Uh, obviously class, but also race. You know, you watch it now and you realize like who all the white characters are for the most part. And, you know, some are sprinkled on here or there, but like we're talking about like when you look at the cops, they're almost all white. 
that's what confused me the first time of watching this. I'll fucking hold up the ignorant white card right now. Although I was 16 at the time, or 17 when watching this. But, like, I had no idea. Like, of just, like, all the different ethnicities and skin tones, colors in Brazil. I was, like, seeing... What's the ginger's name? Tiago. Tiago, yeah. I was just like, wait, what? Who, who is he? Like, <laughs> who's he? Is he, a, is he an exchange student? Like, I just didn't get it. <laughs> no, and Tiago's clearly, like, he's in with the favela crowd, but he's more in with them because he gets his drugs from them, you know? Yeah, yeah. You have Carrot, who's lighter skinned, and again, cops and people all around, and, and the girl, and we'll get into her. Um, They cast people from the favelas for this film so more more on the like the specifics of the cast in a moment because it's really interesting but one of the reasons that they decided to cast people in the favelas yes for realness but also well they didn't say this but also for budget but uh, but the other reason is um believe it or not and this is true of latin america most of the actors were not black like most of the readily available actors yet despite the population of brazil being you know, very much a, a black population. But if you turned on Brazilian TV at the time, I don't know how it is now, but if you turn on Brazilian TV at the time, it would be just like light-skinned Brazilians everywhere. So they felt like if they cast the popular black Brazilian actors at the time, that everyone would recognize them and know them. So they saw this as an opportunity to bring some fresh faces and, and fresh voices to the cinema. Again, it helps with realism. It helps with the budget. I, I don't care what they say. Um, you know that the neighborhood if you're in the neighborhood, right? Uh, they, they brought the actors in for like some acting training, but it was mostly for the action. A lot of this movie is improv, not necessarily in like dialogue, but in just ha- you know how things are carried out. If in a, for example, there's like one time when uh one of the characters drops a shoe oh that's at the end and that was improvised a lot of like just the stuff that we would deem mistakes like they put it in just for the realness factor this movie feels like you're on the streets and it feels like it's real they did not shoot in the city of god itself as it was too dangerous but they shot in like a neighborhood over which was still pretty dangerous um they were not allowed to hire their own security by the people uh, you know, from the neighborhood. They had to hire people from the neighborhood. It was not an easy shoot in that regard. You could see it, it comes off in the filming of this. Like, you can't recreate these sets with CGI or on a stage, obviously. You kind of have to shoot there. And you can tell, and that's, again, like, I had heard of the favelas as a kid. Seeing it in this movie, I could honestly, it was the first time I ever saw something like this in person using the actual real residence of that favela and the way it was shot and the improvisation, you know, like if the intent, obviously this is like a scripted movie based off of, based off of like a semi autobiography, but also with the intention of like, Oh, making more social awareness of the favelas and like the lifestyle in the favela, it's almost like it was more effective to do a scripted film it was almost like shot like a documentary feels like with like the really like definitely um, handheld camera work and the improvisation and like the real environment and it's not set driven and to tell this story through like a scripted movie versus like doing like 
you know, like a typical documentary format. It, it seems it seemed a lot more effective and uh, more immersive in that story. And I like how at the end of they they say that it's based on a true story at the end of the movie. And I remember this. I remember we had a discussion in Housie's class of like what the intention was to say that it was based on true story after the movie was over versus in the beginning. Because I think if it's in the beginning, like you start looking at it through a different mindset versus mm -hmm. through a different lens. Yes. A diff I was going to say lens, but <laughs> I didn't want to sound like a douche. <laughs> but Kyle did. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I thought, I thought there was, I thought like it's a very powerful storytelling like format for the, for the topic. I feel like they're just having a lot of fun with because as far as uh, just every different thing that they're using to tell their story through raw actors to the music to the cinematography and how the cinematography is being used from the camera turning into uh, the like video camera being a POV to then literally looking through the lens of Rocket's camera and telling the story like a little out of order here and there and seeing the using decades as a growth, uh, you know, 60s, 70s. That reminded me a little bit of Boogie Nights in that sense. Um, so, yeah, it's just a film that it, I mean, to Housley's credit, uh, sure, it was a very popular film at the time, but it was a very good film to show some young people that are interested in yeah and uh dan you brought up a, a good term immersive this film feels so immersive in that sense a couple times the dp would hand the camera to one of the actors in scenes and it's like oh you're running there just hold the camera and and run towards that and and we'll try to put that in the film and like i don't know it's just such a very cool style you know, it ends up being a modest success. I think people knew right away that it was going to be something. It was screened first at Cannes. People loved it there. Uh, they ended up flying, like, all the actors and from the favela to that screening. It was, like, a pretty big deal for them. Uh, there's a documentary. You can catch it on YouTube. It's, it's called City of God 10 Years Later. And it's not necessarily about the filming, but it's about, like, what the actors were up to 10 years after that, so tw uh, 2012. And they all talk, like, not all of them, but most of them talk about it, like, yeah, you know, we shot the movie. You know, the, the screening was in France. They took us in limos. We stayed at fancy hotels, and we flew back, and we went back to the favela and lived our lives. So it was, it was a real moment in time for them, for better or worse, I guess. And it got a lot of uh, Academy street cred, too. Four nominations. Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. What's confusing to me about the it didn't win any by the way but only fernando marielis was yes exactly was nominated so i don't know if this is like a later thing where where it was like no no no, we both directed this film and it was like some somewhat added there like i'm not sure well with the academy and this is like so recently with the daniels winning for uh everything everywhere all at once that is the second time only to the coen brothers that like two people win best director so yeah. it, it, the academy it always made it very like even in the past when the coen brothers were nominated only one of them would choose and then i guess that year they were very adamant and now the academy is a, bit, a little bit more open to it so maybe in that case he took the charge you know i don't maybe maybe she was 
obviously co-directing on set due to her experiences a first and second unit maybe she was in charge of some way but maybe he saw the project all the way through i don't know but point being it's i that's what i would guess just from like a technical standpoint but then you have to go off of what you're talking about nominations i thought it was pretty interested looking back at looking back at it that it wasn't nominated for like best foreign film yeah or best picture um despite all these accolades so like <laughs> very weird how they do their nominations there but yeah good call on that maybe maybe it's like a i don't know because i i read um because i'm looking at the back of the dvd right now oh like I forgot to do that part actually it says, it says the um you know all the cast and crew and it says it's directed by fernando Marielles, and then right before it, it says co-directed by katia lund when i was reading the wikipedia page of this movie it made it look like that, you know, they were both kind of equals in this movie. It's so interesting. Even if they were equals, again, that's just, I mean, the Coen brothers were equals, but that's just something that the Academy made them do. Like, all right, one of you guys has to, it needs to be one of your names on the ballot. So they would just usually go back and forth. That was their philosophy. Well, you reminded me about the back of the DVD. I need to read the back of the DVD if any of you are not familiar with City of God and you're still listening for some reason. (laughs) Celebrated with worldwide acclaim, this powerful true story of crime and redemption has won numerous prestigious awards around the globe. The streets of world's most notorious slum, Rio de Janeiro, City of God, are a place where combat photographers fear to tread. Police rarely go. And residents are lucky if they can live to the age of 20. In the midst of the oppressive crime and violence, a frail and scared young boy will grow up to discover that he can view the harsh realities of his surroundings with a different eye, the eye of an artist. In the face of impossible odds, his brave ambition to become a professional photographer becomes a window into the world and ultimately his way out. We, of course, are covering it, though, in High School Slumber Party. Like, most of these characters are teens, which is crazy. I remember watching it as a teen and not even really that registering with me because, like, their life was a lot harder than mine, you know what I mean? But we see a couple school shots. We see a couple 18th birthdays, you know what I mean? We see them grow up. It it is a coming-of-age story. It's just not Ferris Bueller. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, chicka chicka. Um, <laughs> Imagine that soundbite was in the city of God. Change yeah. all this, the sound effect. It's like, right, yeah, it's like right when he goes to grab yeah. the rooster at the end, <laughs> <laughs> or, or 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 when they steal the car in the beginning. It's the Star Wars theme. <laughs> so uh, Buscape Rocket is played uh, our lead here, played by Alexander Rodriguez. He was actually from the city of God. Him and Leandro Firmino, uh, who plays Little Z, or Little Zay, Little Dice. Well, not the one who plays Little Dice. He's also from City of God. Both of them were considered the leads. Both of them were offered 10,000 reales, which is roughly like $1,800 in today's money, or a percentage of the film. And they both took the $1,800. And like even even at like one percent of the film, even a half a percent of the film, that's way more than that amount. And they were the highest paid people in the movie. Most of the actors made you know in American money today something like five hundred dollars, six hundred dollars, you know, stuff like that. Which again goes a longer way in the favela, but 
that's why most of them, when they like when the filming was done, they just kind of resume their lives. Now, some of them will break out of that. You know, we know some of them. We'll we'll get into it. But it is interesting to say that, like, you know, they sort of, if you consider it ethical or not, but handed people what they deemed was sort of like life-changing money that really wasn't just to be themselves. Now, they're still recognized on the street, but I, I read recently that uh, the guy who plays Rocket is like an Uber driver. It would be really cool, if, like, if you're in Brazil and he drives your Uber, but, like, there's been a discussion about this recently, and I guess forever, right? Because, like, you had, like, Slumdog Millionaire when that came out, right? Like, they did a similar thing where they hired locals and most of the people just went back to doing their thing. Or the dude from, uh, like, I'm the Captain now. What movie is that again? Oh, uh, Tom Hanks, the... Uh... Captain Phillips? Captain Phillips. Like, he couldn't find work for a while, and he was just doing his thing. I think he was an Uber driver as well. Um, there's, like, a ethical question with that but again they were paid for their roles so i i don't know like i don't have the answer to it yeah, yeah definitely- it's the same no i think question. it's the same thing as like if you're a if you're a photojournalist you know and you know there's always that ethical question of you know you're kind of making a career off other people's like misery and poverty while you know you you sort of make money off of that but you know there's always that argument of like i'm making the world socially aware of the situation out here which is i don't know i guess everybody can translate that differently i think i think uh if it was just a documentary about the favelas maybe it would have been even more like exploitative to the to the residents of the favelas because like they're probably not they probably wouldn't get paid in like a documentary it's a good point they wouldn't be seen as local celebrities in a documentary, at least in this movie, they were, you know, they had some sort of monetary exchange and, and sort of, a, you know, a status. I, I, I think the the guy who played Lil Zay, he became like a household name, like a local celebrity. Like now, I mean, he's a worldwide celebrity, but he became like a household name in that favela that he grew up in. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point comparing it to photojournalism and creating, like, awareness with that. Like, so, I mean, it's more, it's like somewhere between that and a film. So so that that's a good point. And, and by the way, not everybody here, like, came from the favela, but everyone here was, like, sort of unknown. Uh, the guy who plays Carrot, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Matthias Natergale. He, he was a theater actor who um, the director really liked, saw in local theater. But between the time that this movie was filmed and the time he was cast, he got famous for another role. And he had to basically beg the director to keep him in the movie with directors. He actually lived in the City of God for three months just to be like, no, 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 I got you. I'm going to be one of these guys. So like, he really made the sacrifice there. Other than that, though, when the movie came out, nobody was really recognized even in Brazil, which kind of shocked me because uh, Knockout Ned, right? Like, I always thought we've seen Seo Georgi in uh, Life Aquatic, right? I know it's kind of after. I know he's a, he's a huge star in Brazil. I kind of thought he was famous at the time of City of God, too. I guess I got my timelines wrong. He was a singer, but he wasn't famous. This movie comes out, he sort of takes advantage of it, blows up, he gets cast in Life Aquatic, that that blows up too. And now he's like a god down there, so good for him. I didn't make that connection either, that he, I mean, I always knew the connection between City of God and he was also in Life Aquatic, but I never realized the timeline that, 
I thought he was already established as an actor during the filming of City of God because of Life Aquatic. So, <laughs> so like the timeline didn't make any sense. So when I saw Life Aquatic, I'm like, oh, it's not Gap Ned. Like, of course it's a movie. I wouldn't need it. <laughs> yeah, which just kind of makes his role that much cooler. And or like Wes Anderson, like you know, probably seeing City of God and being like, I need this guy just in whatever little crew position in my next movie. Imagine Wes Anderson directed City of God. <laughs> <laughs> like so stylized. Like. He'd be like, welcome to my favela. And there'd be like a diorama of like the favela homes. Yeah, like. yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, You're a photographer? That's cool. <laughs> there'd, be, there'd be another there'd be another three like a dog for sure. <laughs> Bill Murray will be carrot or like he'll be yeah. like a <laughs> so uh the character knockout ned which again is so cool like he is in the movie in brazilian really chicken manny like that's his name there and i remember catching this originally uh it's funny because now knowing spanish i can catch it more but for whatever reason like my spanish wasn't as good in college and i, I didn't catch it but my roommate was, uh, his family was from Cape Verde in Africa, which they also speak Portuguese, and we were watching this together. And they're like, his, he was like, his name's not Knockout Ned, it's Chicken Ned. He's like, don't ask me why it's Chicken, or Chicken Manny. Um, but in the slang of Brazil, Chicken doesn't mean coward like it does for us. Chicken means like playboy, like a guy who gets with a lot of the ladies. So um, they couldn't, cock. yeah, cock of the walk. They couldn't call him that, though, obviously, because people, unless they wanted to use irony, which is not a very ironic film. So, um, the other person who I really recognized was uh, Alice Braga, who plays Angelica. Of course, she's really famous on the poster. Uh, I watched like that City of God uh, ten years later documentary because again, she ended up being a big star. She's still a star, right? Like she yeah. was kind of shortly after this, she landed uh, I Am Legend. Uh, she was in Predators, The Suicide Squad. Uh, she had her own show, Queen of the South, here. And it was basically not even her role in the movie, she says. It was the poster. The poster got so popular in the U.S. And people, yeah, they saw the movie. They saw her in it. But, like, people were really drawn to her. And that's how she got her I Am Legend audition. She didn't think she would land it. She landed it. Um, and Will Smith said to her, like, I saw you in City of God. And I loved that film. You know, thank you for being a part of my movie. So it's like not everyone here just went back to the favela. And by the way, she was not from the favela. She was like an actor in Brazil, but like a small time theater actor or whatever. But she's been able to make a arguably at least, you know, top two in this movie of like careers made from this film. She was able to do it. So good for Alice Braga as, as Angelica, right? Tiago not doing much now in case you were in case you were wondering. <laughs> And some of the other people, like like uh, the kids Steak and Fries, uh, some of the kids, they would go on to be in the sequel series and the sequel movie, City of Men, as different characters. Have either of you seen City of Men? I haven't. I, I have not. not. No. I heard it's not bad, but it's definitely like not on the level of this film. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll check it out. Who knows? The kid who plays Steak. Wait. Steak and Fries. Steak and Fries. He is, he was born in 1985, so he's 37. So he's two years older than us. <laughs> but this movie was filmed, when was this filmed? 
Maybe 2000. 2000. Okay. Man, he looked so much younger in that movie. Like, I thought he looked like he was like almost like like seven years old in that movie. <laughs> I, I feel like, how, like he's older than us. Yeah, I can't explain it. He did look young. Then, even in the beginning, I feel like Rockets, the kid playing like young Rocket, looked older than the kid playing Little Dice. Yeah, and they ended up being the same age. Yeah, like Little Dice is supposed to be even a little bit older than him. Oh yeah, maybe. But, but yeah, I think yeah. eighteen, like eighteen, seventeen, like you know. Yeah, yeah. Him and him and um, uh, oh boy, why am I blinking on his name with the glasses? Benny, Benny, the coolest hood in the city of God. Come on, Kyle. That's what I haven't. I have not watched this movie in a long time. Honestly, God, cannot remember the last time I watched this, and I really didn't remember a whole lot of the beginning. It wasn't until the older actor was playing rocket in that part i guess the 80s section or 70s section of the movie and so it was yeah it was really great to watch it again and just kind of revisit these characters that i kind of remembered but really took it in with i probably have not seen it definitely in 10 years maybe 15 years so it's been a while for me not that long it's been like probably three or four years for me Um, yeah so like it's kind of cool like you kind of said brian like when we were younger like they look older especially just with what they were dealing with in the movie but like looking at now it's like oh yeah those are kids like and like the you know all of them are kids and then even the runts are you know like little kids so let's talk about some of our favorite moments in the film and being not so favorite who knows this movie is very much vignette style which i love i remember like i was so into that at the time especially uh, and we start out in the 60s in City of God, and they're sort of explaining, like, how they got there. And uh, the first big story is about the Tender Trio, as they're called, the three, like, older brothers and their small-time uh, crimes, if you will, and their love love lives, too. So um, what were your thoughts on, like, the stuff that happens in the 60s here? Well, I think I think this vignette was probably my favorite in the film, the, the story of the Tender Trio. It's just... It was just such a great story of like, it was almost like these criminals were almost so much more innocent in comparison to what the city of God becomes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's just like the, like the, how society just like degrades over time. Even when it comes to crime, like at first, like people are just be, uh, turned to a life of crime just to survive and just to share with their community. But then it just becomes this whole like greed and, you know, self, like very selfish, like endeavor, like when little little Dice or Lil Z comes to power. But yeah, I really like seeing the Tender Trio and, and sort of like what they did to their, fa- not the favela, but like the the community that they were like living in with at, at first. But yeah, and, and I, I just love like the different paths that the three guys try to take. I thought the most interesting was, was Clipper. When, when they're, after they had the uh, motel uh, holdup. Uh, I think it was him and Goose. They go into the jungle and hide from the cops and they climb up a, a palm tree and they, they end up hiding there overnight. And like Clipper, like he just like has this weird, like trippy sort of weird vision of like, he, he like had this really weird abstract moment where he, he turns his life to God. And, and that's, that just, he, you just never hear from him again after, after that we see we see the fate of Goose and Shaggy. But yeah, I, th- I thought Clippers, his story was really interesting, you know, how that how that one ended. 
Yeah, it's it's almost unexpected, and like the way like someone else gets killed instead of him. He just walks into that church, and we again sort of never hear from him again in that respect. And we end up not hearing from the other guys either for different reasons. Yeah, it's almost like I'm going to say something really, uh, really, really smart right now. But in the city of God, in order to survive, you need to surrender yourself to God, like Clifford. Maybe, maybe <laughs> <laughs> the one who does it. It's it's almost like he's the only one that makes it out alive in the story. Yeah, I guess Rocket eventually. We never see uh, what's Alice Braga's character's Angelica. Yeah, we never see her again. That was the thing, like with not remembering a whole lot of this movie, especially this beginning part in the sixties and this uh, the tender trio. I was really in, invested in again because I'm like, wait, which of these characters continues? And I because I really didn't remember. And so, yeah, it was just interesting seeing and then thinking about the time period. So, again, the 60s. And there's a couple of things like Vietnam is mentioned like once in the movie. So as far as juxtaposition of like, I mean, it's a completely different country, completely different environment than of the United States. But just like the loss of innocence and just kind of seeing the this like undeveloped town as they say like you know it's dirt roads no electricity they hold up a propane you know tank truck that they each it's like it's like the wild west still there and then it starts getting developed but it's still even though it's getting more developed it starts degrading and they know where they are they know that they're the outcasts and they're outside of the beautiful beaches of Rio and like that, just that classic postcard look of this touristy city. And they're in, you know, the side of what looks like the mountains kind of right there. So yeah, just like taking that aspect in and just even before, I mean, you know, it's the movie starts with a scene that's like right towards the end and just even watching it this time, I like I was back in a film class and just kind of like taking notes and, breaking it down and i'm like oh it's showing right in the beginning of the movie violence but violence that's a necessary part of the culture pretty much just like killing and preparing some chickens and i'm like then this chicken runs away I'm like this chicken is rocket he gets away <laughs> and i just started maybe overanalyzing i don't know but no I no just, i think uh, you're right looking for the deeper meaning this movie is violent but it was purposely done in a way where like you don't see like a lot of blood and guts and gore, right? A lot of the shooting happens out of focus off camera. You know it's happening, but they're trying to like normalize it in a sense and not freak you out because you're supposed to be like, oh, this shit is just happening all the time here and it's just something you have to live with. Speaking of sort of, I guess, like a subtly violent scene, but definitely like a pretty graphic scene in a lot of ways, um, that motel robbery and shootout, like how it's shot, the, I guess, sexual nature and the way we're moving through rooms. And then, again, we get gunshots at the end. What were your thoughts on that scene? Well, now I can't stop thinking if Wes Anderson directed that scene. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what happened? Oh, shit. Yeah, that's like, you know, I don't know if it hit the same way when I originally watched or what, but definitely hit hard this time seeing such a good job. I, I You know, they do a really good job with, character development in the film and so seeing little dice and just like oh he is totally unhinged just at, even being a little kid you know he comes up with this plan to rob the motel uh, but he's feeling but besides just doing that he decides to kill six 
innocent people he goes in and they're tied up and he goes in and just kills them and then laughs right away i mean that kid did a great job of just acting i hope acting uh and uh yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna say that you're kind of like on the side of the criminals up until that shooting in the motel but you don't realize that maybe like halfway through the movie that the all the people in the motel they were like they were all sh- like basically just massacred but before that you know you kind of see you, you kind of look at the the tender trio even the name the tender trio like oh you know like they're almost like like robin hoods in the favelas they're they're giving back to their you know their neighbors and everything and you're almost on their side and then but once innocent people start to get killed and you know like recklessly murder you're like oh like that's when you start realizing like this story's like really fucked up yeah to me it's there and and there's a lot of little stories in this that we get some of them are like 30 seconds long but the one with um the bartender and his wife and he catches them with one of uh catches her with one of the guys and he just beats her to death like that's like oh shit we're we're in for it in this movie like this movie can be very 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 dark at times this movie's like really good at making these little like there's there's the main story like these main vignettes and there's all these like little side stories and side characters and like their little issues like i feel like this movie does really good job doing that where you have the main story and then almost like a background character gets pulled into the main story because they're so affected by what's going on in the story. Like for example, like Shorty and his wife. And then another good example is when knockout Ned shoots the security guard in the bank. Yeah. Uh, You don't see it at the moment, but you see somebody run over to the shot security guard, but he ends up being the son of that security guard and who later, who later kills Knockout Ned, and you see that later in the movie. So, like, I feel like this movie's really good at, like, pulling in almost, like, collateral damage from all the Yeah, it shows, it shows the ripple effect of everything. It's a trope in film analysis to be like, oh, the, the setting is a character in itself, but this is, like, a great example of that. Like, it feels like more like a living and breathing neighborhood and city because of what you're saying side characters could get pulled in and out at any moment at any time like even there's that whole vignette about the apartment that we get later and like the history of that apartment like everything is living and breathing in this movie and you feel like if you were dropped in here and you were a fly in the wall and if you made a left or you made a right you'd get different stories everywhere um so yeah that that i think it's really really effective in that anything else in the uh in the 60s you want to talk about man that was such a bummer how how shaggy died yeah, what an image too. Yeah, I, and I, I and I felt the same. I, I felt the same emotion when Benny dies too, just like his brother. Where they're both looking for an escape of their current situation, and you know they have a uh, they have very similar goals of you know just moving out to the farm and growing marijuana, just living <laughs> a good life. And it's like, oh yeah, like I like I, I was like rooting for them, like oh I hope they get out. And they're so close to getting out of their situation, but. You know, unfortunately, the the city, the city got them. They got got by the city of God. Absolutely. And yeah, because I wanted to talk about Benny. Like Benny has always been my favorite character in the movie because you see him evolve like in the 60s. He's just like Little Z's like sidekick. 
And then once we get to the 70s, he's still his sidekick, but he starts finding his own agency uh, when he gets, uh, like, Tiago to buy him clothes. And oh, he that's dyes his hair scene. like that. I love that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. That made me think of Boogie Nights. Yeah, no, it is very Boogie Nights, though. Like, this, honestly, this movie is a good companion piece of Boogie Nights. You mentioned it a couple times, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> in a weird way, I would never have guessed that. But you put it exactly right. Like, so... Rocket's a bunch of people date Angelica in this movie. First Tiago, then Rocket, like briefly, but then like Benny takes her, but in like a nice way. Like Rocket's not even mad because he's like, that's the coolest hood in the city of God. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, he knows he doesn't have like anything to stand on. <laughs> and he's like sort of a conduit. Like, he's he's a bad dude. Like in this world, he's like one of the top crime bosses, but he's also like friendly and relates to people like when we when you see the parties both his going away party and the party before he's like hey you having a good time you know what I mean? he's like dancing with people like he's well, just he like, brings everyone together he brings in the soul crowd it brings yeah in the, i love that i the, love the, that the religious the religious crowd he's like i have you'll i'll eventually go to church yeah. don't worry the soul the samba <laughs> crowd the rock crowd yeah. so i love that like uh, benny's going away party when when him and angelica decide again just grow pot on a farm and escape that life like is so cool like rocket djing and like they're playing kung fu fighting and just ha- like uh, that's yeah. probably my favorite sequence of the movie when i when i saw that scene i was like man i, I grew up in the wrong place and time in my life <laughs> you, just, like, want, you just like want to be in that celebration like, yeah. you want to be in that party it's it's just, especially like growing up in like a sterile environment like ulta pan and then you see these you see these kids like as fucked up their lives may be but like it's almost like exciting too to see it in that like in that way of like they're having these amazing parties and smoking pot on the beach yeah. and you know it's more it's more precious right yeah absolutely and that's what this movie like does like it shows you the worst of the worst of the worst living conditions for a teenager to grow up in but yet can take you in these moments where you're like fuck I wish I was there that's so good oh yeah Benny dancing to like James Brown you know it's just it's perfect. And he's just going around, and he wants to give the camera to uh, to Rocket. And uh, the most missed moment, though, with Kung Fu fighting playing, and we have a character called Knockout Ned that oh, knows you wish he was karate. <laughs> but again, yeah, he's, exactly. chick- he's Chicken Ned but, uh... in, the, in the movie for real. So. <laughs> And Benny's character is mirrored again by Little Z, who's growing up. Look, he is the most badass person in this movie, but he's... The actor who plays him is so good because you could see his vulnerabilities, right? Like they mentioned, like he's not he's not necessarily a good looking guy. He's not good with the ladies. I love in that scene when he's like trying to talk to knock out Ned's girl, build up the courage, like his face, like, all right, I'm gonna talk to her, I'm gonna talk to her. This is a guy who runs into fucking, you know, trap houses and just kills the guy instantly, like, let's do it. But when it comes to talking to a girl and things like that, he's gotta like build up his strength. Like, I think that's awesome. Like he is such a, you could say he's a psychopath, you could say he's a sociopath, you could say a lot of things about him, but it, to me it's like better than almost any Marvel villain in a sense because he just brings it home to like, this is a real dude right here. Well, he's almost the foil to Rocket in that sense that like they both have these both vulnerable characters and they're both kind of like Rocket at one point, you know, he's just like, and now I'm virgin, single, and broke. And, you know, that's that's kind of what, like, little Z is going through, too, except he has this criminal power to him. But like you said, he can do everything in that realm, I'll use air quotes and say successfully, but 
has a hard time talking to women, which, you know, as you said in the beginning, as far as a coming of age movie, that's a pretty good ground to understand. But then you realize he's a monster because as either I forget what character says it, but pretty much, you know, if he wants to have a woman, he either has to pay for it or take them by force, uh, which we also witness. So, yeah, but that actor just does such a great job. And when he sees Knockout Ned in the paper and like that's then Tiago goes and gets Rocket and that whole journey starts. And it's just through this insecurity and this, you know, vulnerability and this obviously a bit of vanity as well to be the the center of attention but you know to see that where we saw it him as a kid wanting that it's pretty cool yeah yeah i mean like our central players here are are so well fleshed out that you know again i i love all of them i mean we can talk about the ending we can talk about stuff like that but anything more on little z because i kind of want to talk about knockout net as well bring on knockout net so as we mentioned, the the girl that uh, Little Z's going after is Knockout Ned's girlfriend, partner, whoever. That's a you know brutal scene. He ends up raping her, and Knockout Ned goes from like nice bus driver sort of to rampage. I mean, not like you know, there's steps here. He aligns himself with Carrot, and first he's like, you know, we're not going to kill innocent civilians, and we get the like sequence like he's not killing them, he's not going to boom, like you said, he shoots the bank teller. And then we're off. And, like, this is the war point of the movie. It's truly like a war. Like, feels like we're watching a combat documentary. There's a little bit more humor, I guess, in it. But, you know, he becomes such a cool and tragic character. He's sort of like our gangster hero in this. It's not Rocket. Like, in a lot of movies, Rocket would have been the one to finally, like, step up and go on a rampage. But it ends up just being sort of this background guy. And he was 100% based on a real, real person in Brazil who... Uh, the Brazilian people, especially in the favela, like really look to to like, you know, cut the oppression of whoever the little Z character was. What did you think of Knockout Ned? I think um, the story of Knockout Ned was it just shows the just how ruthless the city can be on a level that where it could take a man like Knockout Ned, who's trying to do the right thing, has a job, has an honest job as a bus driver. You know, he's very nice to his customers, probably a family man, very respectful to his girlfriend. Basically, the just just the just a guy just trying to do the right thing in in the city of God. And he just, you know, becomes almost like like I said before, like collateral damage to what's going on in the favelas and him getting his girlfriend raped and then his family, his brother killed and his uncle killed and his whole home shot up. It just basically turns him into this killing machine and he just becomes another gangster in the hoodlum, but not just any gangster, but almost like in a, a leadership position to wage war against Lil Z. And that just shows the progression of somebody who's just trying to do the right thing to becoming another violent character in the favelas. Yeah. It shows you really, really can't escape this. Like most people are just trapped no matter what, no matter what your intentions are. It's really hard to get out of this. Uh, Kyle, knock out Ned thoughts. Yeah, well, just an overall thought on the movie is that while, hey, it's based off of real 
real life and it takes place in brazil it just has very much a greek tragedy type tone and so in this (laughs) you know rocket rocket is like the narrator he is taking us through this so like you said he almost feels like he should be the one that would step up in like another movie but he stays kind of on the outside and has these little moments so he's almost like um I don't know. I feel like he's like Odysseus and uh, Knockout Ned is Achilles in this moment. He's he's our hero and steps up in this moment, but then has his downfall as well. I and I do love the character of Knockout Ned, and like you're saying, he has his downfall and does become a criminal. But I forget how how do they phrase it? You know, there's an exception to the rule or something like that. Yeah. You know, there's about about to be someone that shoots him and carrot shoots him instead, and just like says oh, the exception, and then someone's about, and then the guard that ends up being like the kid's father is about to shoot Ned, and Ned, you know, do you know, do or die moment decides to shoot the guard as well. So once the all innocence is lost in that sense. He's just completely now a hood as well. And, you know, Carrick gives him that option in the apartment as well when the kid shows up. And then he says, if you're, he's like, I am not a hood, yada, yada, yada. He's like, okay, door's open. You can leave if you want. (laughs) But he's just so hell-bent on vengeance at that point. So, yeah, it's just, you know, that's truly, I mean, a tragedy of its own besides just the tragedy and the overall arcing story of the City of God. I think yeah. it's mentioning that Knockout Ned was the reason why Rocket did not pursue a life in crime. Mm. Because yeah. he would have to rob him on the rob rob uh, Knockout Ned as a bus driver, but he was so cool and nice that his cool and niceness was, you know, contagious enough to change Rocket's mind to stay on the right track and not turn to a life of crime. But unfortunately, Knockout Ned didn't have the same path at the end and that girl was too nice and gave him his number so he didn't rob them and then he smoked uh (laughs) made a joint with it (laughs) yeah the the guy from sao paulo i love that whole like angle like no matter what he just he's not he doesn't have a bad bone in his body like that he can't do it yeah yeah i love that and the rocket story it becomes like increasingly intriguing like he's sort of the our eyes here. I mean, he has our eyes here. He's a fly on the wall. And then he starts to kind of build some street cred, like with, with his, just, his, I mean, his photography, obviously. Um, how he joins the newspaper, like first he's like a delivery boy, um, but he does it so he can get like in and, and get certain, like, you know, his roles developed here and there, and he gets in with the photographer eventually. And he gets into. Yes, he does, get, he does get into <laughs> the, the writer. <laughs> Um, but, uh, you know, he becomes sort of the official, like, w- like war correspondent or war photographer for this little, you know, s- uh, these skirmishes that are happening in his neighborhood. He, I love, like, the shots of this, like the, uh, I mean, first it's like the knockout Ned photo, but then it's eventually when a little Z wants his photo taken. I love that scene. You know, where he has them, like, pose and stuff, and and they're getting so excited, and he's so afraid that Lil Z's gonna get mad that it's in the newspaper, and Lil Z just, like, loves that shit. Like, he just eats it alive. Like, I, I love the sequences. That's what I, like, love about that time. If you were a 
photographer in that era, maybe like more so, but maybe like decades before when the idea was photography of photography was somewhat new. It didn't matter what context, what your picture was in. All that mattered was you had a photo in you. You had a photo of you. Uh. And the fact that it was published was just exciting enough. Like it didn't matter what the story was. Like people just wanted to be photographed. People wanted to be, have their pictures out there because it was something that was never done before. And it was almost like a status, definitely like a status thing too, where if you have your photograph taken, you know, it was really just truly reserved for people with money or people who are privileged enough to get their photograph taken. And I think that's a huge reason why Lil, Lil Z reacted the way he did because, you know, he's just this poor gangster from the favelas and having his photograph taken and being published in newspaper was just like, it's like a huge deal for him. Like, it was just like, oh, like all he, all he saw was just his narcissism and fame in, the, in those pictures. It didn't matter like what the story was or what the angle of the story was. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like everyone today, not to get on one of these rants, but everyone could today could be easily be the star of their own show with like social media, Instagram, stuff like that. Even when we were growing up, like if you could theoretically be in the background on the news, like in a photo in the record or something, or like, again, like eyewitness news and you'd be there, like you could wave in the background, like people would go crazy, like just passing, oh, yeah. passing a camera. Yeah. yeah it, it, and it didn't matter what the story was. Like, no, I remember there were two incidents where eyewitness news came to our town. One first one I remember was no three was oh. first one was when Mr. Martone, dropped the ball of like sodium and it exploded and the news came out like people were like you know it's like a tragedy like yeah. not a tragedy but <laughs> well, like, no one died was, but yeah it was like breaking news yeah. and then the second one was uh when jeffrey mayer caught the the uh oh the ball run. yeah the home run ball the yankees, yeah. yankees orioles game yeah and the third one was when the vice principal got caught with pot and child porn the high school oh i forgot about that yeah. <laughs> but there, yeah, but my point is like there are people like, oh hey, like trying to get behind yeah, the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're wow. right. It didn't matter what it was. It was just like, oh cool, mom, I'm on TV, the whole thing. Yeah, like nobody was paying attention to the story. They just want to see who made it in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh at least for the uh the Mr. Martone explosion thing, I was at uh Chris Kim's house and we were waiting for it to come on the news and we saw it on the news, we were screaming, like, oh my god. Like you know, what I mean? and it was I was a like, "You want to be on TV?" It was TV, but you're right. Even in the in the, I remember again getting my photo taken as a kid for like a field day thing in the newspaper, and like everyone, not just me being excited as a kid, like everyone in my family is like, "Oh my god, look!" You know what I mean? Like you're in the newspaper. Like now, I'm not saying it's not a big deal to get to get in the newspaper, but like again, we all have the power to take photos and post them instantly now. So just a different time a different era and especially again but that's this is us and this is us growing up in the 90s and 2000s imagine a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s in a favela so um kyle you brought up when rocket loses his virginity uh to the reporter they actually kept an improv moment in that scene where like she draws him a bath and rocket says like oh i've never had a hot bath before that was actually before they were filming like before they intended to literally the actor was like oh cool i've never had a hot bath before because the actor had never like bathed in warm water wow. before wow. Yeah. so, so wow. like i mean it's exactly it so like if you can be in a newspaper could you imagine for them it doesn't matter what you're doing and like 
he's freaking John, like Little Z's John Wayne in these in these pictures. You know, like that's that's who he is. He's the star of the show, and it's finally validating to be in the news and be in the newspaper. So it definitely makes sense. Anything else you want to talk about in the film? No, I guess just um, the, the, as far as things we haven't discussed that I have written down. Um, uh, well, you know, that he got his first camera at 16. So, Dan, I was kind of curious. I just wanted to ask you, for obviously, for as long as I've known you, I, I don't know this specific thing. When did you get your first... When do you remember first, like, shooting on either a video camera or camera? Um... My mom got me a Pentax SLR camera. Mm-hmm. I think I was 14 or 15 at the time. She got, and we went to uh, Bergen County camera in Westwood. Nice. It was like a little, it was like a little like 35 millimeter electronic uh, film camera with like an SLR, like zoom lens. And I used that to photograph my, you know, like people riding their BMX bikes and things like that. And then I I think shortly, shortly after watching this movie, I got a new camera. It was like, it was more of a traditional Nikon SLR film body with like, you got to wind the film and it's all mechanical. Yeah. That was a, that was a Nikon. And I got, that was like my second camera after watching this film. And then my third camera, third like main film camera I had was uh, I got like really deeper and deeper into photojournalism, and that's when I started using the Leica. Yeah, I remember when you got that. Yeah, I've had that for a really long time and used that a lot. That's my Leica. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a trip. But uh, yeah, but as far as the rest of the film, uh, I mean, I kind of mentioned them already, but you know, the runs—that's definitely an important part. Oh, of, yeah. of of the movie, just as far as seeing just how it will all continue it doesn't matter you know just kind of like all hope is lost kind of thing you know crime crime will continue and just that yeah definitely the moment of that's steak and fries right that kills the one that he little z makes him choose oh god okay that's probably one of the most like heaviest scenes in that movie where yeah where he takes he catches the two runs and yeah 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 he forces them to choose whether if you want to get shot in the hand or the foot but he shoots him in the foot either way both of them anyway so uh and then steak and fries ends up killing one of them and gets initiated into Lil Z's gang yeah that was probably that's probably the more like disturbing like wow it's like like yeah just that the really little kid is just like and crying you know like starts crying before obviously you know he, they get shot and then is even more so reasonably crying once he's shot in the foot and he's crying more than the other one and i guess that's why steak and fries kind of lets him live and ends up shooting the other one but yeah that that, that scene is definitely one of the harder if not the hardest hitting scene dark just dark <laughs> oh man I left this movie with, like, believe it or not, with like an optimistic tone. I guess that's how, like, just knowing that Rocket becomes like a photographer, he's able to pay his bills. He's somewhat famous. He has to make that choice. Remember, like, he takes a picture of you know what happens, but he also finds out there's police corruption there. Um, and as we see throughout the movie, like the cops are the ones like funding like the the arms race that's happening in there. 
you know, he has a choice to release, like, expose the police corruption or sort of just, like, take a little bit of, of the pie. And he's like, yeah, you know, let's not. <laughs> let's not. Yeah, he's like, this that. one will make me money. This one will make me famous. This, you know, this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He chooses the stability, essentially, which, you know, I get it. I get it. But then, you know, like, I, I guess my thoughts when it ended were just like, oh, I'm happy for Rocket and. It, yeah, it's it really does suck living in the city of God, but what a cool, great movie I just watched. Like, as weird as that sounds, right? It wasn't like, like when I saw a movie like The Hurt Locker, I'm like, oh, war is bad, and oh my God, I can't, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't necessarily get that feeling after this. It was more, that was a cool movie. Yeah, and watching it this time, it's great because, you know, it's a time capsule movie in and of itself as far as, it being a story about the 60s and 70s in that location, but now watching it, just a time capsule of independent filmmaking, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, and then just even just a a very special point of, I'll I'll say at least my life as far Mm -hmm. as really, you know, falling. I mean, well, number one, I'm on a podcast right now with two of my oldest friends and we're, we always bonded over movies. And so it reminds me of that period. Uh, but then just as far as making, falling in love with movies and then just really opening my eyes up to other genres, other, you know, language films. Uh, so yeah, it's just really, it's just one of the better films you could watch in general, I think, just as far as storytelling and what, what you can do. For sure. Any uh, final thoughts, Dan, before we get to our awards? Um, yeah, I remember um, watching the, this movie for the first time and then finding out it was based on a true story after the movie ended in the credits. I think if I think if, if it was presented, oh, this is a based on a true story, it would definitely make your experience of watching the movie different. I don't know how though, but I think watching it as a movie, this is just like my, this, maybe I, I could be wrong, but maybe like if you're just watching it as just like a regular movie, that's just like a very plot driven and it's, it's everything scripted and, and um, it's not, Oh, it's just like a, a story, like not a true story. Like I feel like you're more immersed in it in the plot and everything and the characters and the settings. But if you're watching it, Oh, it's like, this is based on a true story. You're kind of like, maybe just watching it as a as sort of like like you said like kind of like a fly on the wall and trying not to trying to watch it by not judging it but when you're watching it as a story it's like you're you're you have more I don't know I feel like I think I think you have more you connect more and you have more empathy with the characters when it's when it's a fiction when you're watching it as a fiction I could be wrong but I I thought I thought thought the intention of leaving it not telling it's a true story it was definitely intentional towards the end yeah you just have like one less thing on your mind and as far you yeah get, i think that's what it is yeah yeah you just you, you just get to focus on the characters as characters whether they're fictional based off of real people or actual real people and you just get to make decisions for yourself versus since i, I don't know i mean obviously playing people around the world watch this, but unless you're from there, you, you know, are you truly going to understand it? So you might start judging it in a different way. So I, yeah, I think just letting you know at the end just allows you to just kind of view it with open eyes versus just being like, 
oh my god like i can't believe this really happens out there you know and which is crazy it, it, like i i was googling just violence and crime in in the favelas in brazil today and like it's still like really crazy today like, yeah. it's still really relevant where just like in the movie they're recruiting kids they're recruiting children and you know a lot of drug problems they're heavily armed and yeah and it's almost like the situation hasn't gotten any better at all maybe even yeah. worse uh the people i mean this was in again 2013 but the 10 years after city of god both say like you know there's some years that are good and there's some years that are not good like when the movie was being shot like the documentary they were like oh this is a better time now but yeah you're right if you look at the history like things got really bad uh they have like tours like if you go to rio you could tour the city of god but i'm yeah, sure I, didn't, like... I, didn't, I was reading about that too like these uh poverty tours or these <laughs> tours i kind of get like the sort of going out of your way to travel and then like going to these like really sketchy shady neighborhoods just to see just to see like how like how people live in like these slums and everything but to have it commercialized in like a commercialized tour like i was like damn that's that's like <laughs> on a whole different level man well yeah. there's one of my favorite shows uh is a show that was on hbo called treme and while that's a completely you know like well it's it's it takes place the first season takes place like four months after Katrina, five months after Katrina. And in the first season, one of, you know, there's, it's the same creator as the wire and there's all different categories of people. And there's one that's about this. Uh, and they're still referred to as Indian tribes of new Orleans. And they're having a funeral and kind of in the front yard of somebody's house. And then all of a sudden this big van pulls up that says like, katrina disaster tours and it's just a bunch of white people taking pictures of like this group of black people that are about to have you know a funeral and the driver of the van is just like so what do you all have going on here and they're all just like looking at him deadpan being like get out of here like what do you think you're doing but it just made me think of that too that it's just like really like do you want to witness that that not that it's i I guess it kind of goes back to our earliest conversation of just saying as far as exploiting possibly the people that were the actors in this film like is it good is it bad like because you want to learn about that stuff but it just feels kind of i don't know queasy to go and being on a tour of this area i think a little, a little tasteless i mean if yeah you, yeah if totally. you want to know, just like just go there and i don't know like talk to people i don't know i, I don't know i don't know if there's any right way or maybe even like maybe even just like approaching it in any way like oh i got I want to see like how how poor people live. It's like it's like a very like privileged thing to do. Yeah, it's very like like voyeuristic and kind of a gross way. Even though again, I am intrigued. Like part of me would want to go into the favelas and see it, but then when you the tour bus really highlights how perverted of a thought that is, right? But we do the same thing with like Hollywood tours and oh, this is how like celebrities live and fucking going to Kyle. We went to fucking Graceland and. And, um, yeah, oh, Memphis, yeah. You know, yeah, but so okay, but I like think the same thing, but just on a different spectrum, just seeing how the other side lives. But, but at Graceland, the estate of Graceland makes money yeah, off, that... off your tickets. Like, not everyone in the favela, I'm sure some people make money off the tour, but it's not like everyone's getting rich because your tour is going through there, right? Like, I don't know, there's a class aspect of it that is just you know weird. Hey, but if you're a listener out there and you've been on a poverty tour. 
you know, let us know. Hit us up on social media. I'm very curious how, how this went. <laughs> um, let's get to our awards, though. First one we always give out, or first question we ask, I should say, is who was this movie made for? For the whites living in Old Japan. <laughs> kind of, right? Like <laughs> suburban kids, even. like I mean, I, I don't know. The, no, it was made this, for the this... world. I think it was made for the world. Yeah, it was made for, yeah. It's a very yeah. global movie. Yeah. Yep. It is. Yeah, I'll, I'll, take it. I'll take that. It's like Babel. Babel's like a polished version of this even though I love the director of that but uh, most likely to succeed weird question to ask today but which character won the movie yeah undeniably Rocket yeah Yeah, right he he survived the city of God and got the job of his dreams almost everybody else lost the movie so yes Wooderson Award. Is there a character in the film who you would have liked to have seen more of? So many characters to choose from, but is there like a storyline you would have liked explored a little bit deeper? Uh, yeah, Tiago. Uh, oh. Where is he from? What's his deal? You know, how did he end up in the favelas? Obviously, he's he's kind of like the token white. In, yeah. In in the uh, in the city of God, and just would have been interesting to see his story and what his situation was. Like That's a good does, answer. Yeah, for money I, is or is he is he like a wealthy kid from like Rio de Janeiro with like nice clothes, nice trendy clothes, and hanging out in the hood for drugs? You know, well, that's, that's what it seemed like. That's to me. that's what it seems. Yeah, exactly. That's what it seems like to me as well. But I would love to see it more. Yeah, Kyle, you have an answer. Uh, I'll say knockout Ned because more. I just yeah, I don't know. I just something about him. I want a spinoff movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Now, again, this award is named after like uh, the character in Sixteen Candles. Was there anything? Again, we talk about a dance around a little. Was there anything that felt a little exploitative, or just a character that was boring to you? Like, is there anything here that you wouldn't include in the film? Um, not nothing comes to mind. Uh, tuba, no. <laughs> tuba, <laughs> Blackie. Uh. Again, it doesn't. There's racism in the film because there's racism that exists there. You know what I mean? It's not anything like that. Maybe Shorty's killing of his wife is a little harsh, but if that's a reality there, I don't know. I don't, there wasn't anything that that came to my mind in that respect. Like I, I, I liked Shorty's existence in that movie in that story because he was just so unlikable. Yeah, I think he, he really was, was. One of the most unlikable characters in that movie. He has a like an unlikable face too, you know. Oh my god, his face is perfect for that role. It's just like it's like a rat, you know, just like yeah. <laughs> And he is a rat. He's a stooge yeah, to the cops, so that makes sense. Great cast. <laughs> Did you have an answer for this one, Kyle? Um, no, no, not really like as far as a removal of a character that would make it better. No, I don't think so. Yeah, cuz this I feel like the story is like the more the merrier because it's it's about like you said, it's about the setting. The setting is the character as well and Every single person in that setting, you know, contributes to, you know, the, this, I was going to say the city of God. <laughs> but you're right. But you're right. But yeah. Boom. Nailed it. Nailed it. We should end the episode right there. Um, <laughs> this next, this next award is, feels weird to ask today, but Cameron Fry Award. did anyone seem like they were too old to be a teenager in this? It's really hard to say here. <sighs> Like, uh, Carrot. Carrot is actually 17 years old. He's just really Car- old. Carrot. <laughs> no, I think the Carrot's supposed to be older. Um, I mean, I mean, Little Z definitely looked 
I think older than he was. I don't know if that's just that he looks older yeah. or than compared to like teenager rocket versus yeah, just just yeah. I as I kind of said earlier, like the age they were when they're younger, and then when they grow up, he just looks that much older. But not nothing. I mean, it's fine. You forget about it. So I'm gonna hand you guys the Manila cards. I'm giving you the red pen. We gotta grade the movie from an A plus to F scale. But first, let's get to our cheat sheet. City of God, Rotten Tomatoes, 91% by the critics, 97% by the audience. And this Letterbox score is one of the highest I've ever seen. 4.4 out of 5 on Letterbox. The nerds like it. The audience likes it. Everyone likes this movie. But what will you grade, City of God? Um, besides Encino, man. Have I given anything an A plus? Uh, I don't think so. You know, man, an A plus. Yes. <laughs> wow. you gotta watch that again. Hey, oh, I'm sorry. Just two people that won a, a best supporting actor and lead actor are in that movie. It looks like I was, uh, you know, fair. Like I understood something about it ahead of time. Uh, a. I'll give it an A. A, nice. I'll, I'll give it an A, too. I might give this one my A+, plus, honestly. Wow. I think I would give it an A normally, but it has a nostalgia factor to me. Teacher's like, pet. I love this movie. A+. Plus. So, I mean, look, A's all around. That's great to hear. I'm glad we all watched it again and still enjoyed it that much. I feel like this is another weird question, but I guess it's a very visual movie, so maybe not. The three of us, we are at our City of God slumber party. <laughs> And we all have custom City of God sleeping bags. What does your City of God sleeping bag look like? Oh, boy. Oh, Kyle, I'm going to correct this. The two of us, we spent a summer in San Emilio Island. And remember, when it was beach movies, we did beach towels instead of sleeping bags. So this is a beach movie in a sense. Let's do beach towels. And, again, and I'm disqualifying the iconic poster because the poster, at least in the U.S., was just like the kiss on the beach. Great. I love that thing, but that cannot be on your beach towel. So what does your City of God beach towel look like? It would have like, it would be like a, like a tie-dye towel, beach towel with like a pot leaf on it. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that feels like... Celebrate the, the 70s. Benny would have that. I definitely would want to be like a groovy in, in that era. <laughs> I could see that. I would want to like hang out on the beach and smoke weed all day. <laughs> so my, my beach I would have tie-dye with a big pot leaf. <laughs> I like that. How about you, Kyle? Mine would have both. It would be like half the chicken looking concerned and half like cooked chicken on the grill. Ooh, I was going to use the chicken. That's a good one. I like that. Damn. You took mine. Um, I think I would have, I was, thinking, maybe, I was thinking like, you know, like a film photography one, but I think I want like a stylized sort of, you know, colored version of rocket rocket with like the headphones, like at the DJ thing. He looked like he was so happy, like, like tr helping DJ that event. So I kind of want that in like a cartoonish colored one with like brazilian colors you know what i mean like, I think that's awesome yeah yeah <laughs> that would be cool <laughs> all right this is my favorite question uh when we get to do these high school slumber party episodes the magical blockbuster question everyone as the time of recording everyone's wondering what blockbuster is up to as the the website is now up again there are a lot of rumors of a 
some kind of blockbuster return. We don't know what it is, but as of the recording, Blockbuster is not back. So the only blockbuster that exists, the two, are one in Bend, Oregon, and the other one is the magical blockbuster in the sky that has every movie that has ever existed from this point back through history. We know we're renting City of God. We get to the blockbuster and we see a sign at the counter. It says, rent two movies, get one free. And I say, you know what? Fuck it, we're going to have an awesome night. Danny, go to one part of Blockbuster. Kyle, go to another part of Blockbuster. Each pick two other movies that we should watch in a City of God triple feature. What two other movies do you guys recommend to watch with City of God? Oh, we're each choosing two? I thought yes. I, sorry. You always, every it's time. Been a while. <laughs> you say, no. like, I want to isolate, I want to isolate like 10 clips of you saying we're each choosing I, two. <laughs> I thought, no, I thought that you. No, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's one, but sometimes it's two. I just. Okay. All right. So, guys, just had one ready, so I'll say one right now. Okay, we'll say we'll say both. Think of another one. Take your time. Oh, okay, all right, all right, Dan. If you want to go first, then. Uh, choosing two movies. Mm-hmm. So, with City of God, I would pick the one eight seven. Yeah, you've been you've been wanting to on, <laughs> on that one for Which a while. I haven't even watched yet. I've I've only seen like clips in the trailer, but we got to talk that one. Parallel with that movie. We got to uh, talk that one here. One eight seven and. Boys in the Hood. Nice, nice. I like that. How about you, Kyle? Oh boy. Um. All right. I'm. I, I have one totally prepared and one I mentioned just briefly earlier. So I'll use that it. one. Well, the, the so my first one, my real official choice is adaptation. Interesting. Um, for a few reasons. Number one. Uh, that was another poster that was in Mr. Housley's room. It's, you know, of that time era, you know, another independent uh, film. And it's a movie, you know, this is a movie not about photography, but our, you know, our one of our lead characters is a photographer. So I like that adaptation is movie making. So you got photographer, videographer. So there's that aspect to it. And it's also just a great movie and a lot of great characters. And then my other one, I'll go with Anaconda. Anaconda. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm going to do a list because there's two other movies that were brought up today a couple times. And I'm like, why not? Like, I feel like it's on the nose. But if I was in Blockbuster, these would be my two. Uh, Life Aquatic, of course, to have that continuation. And then uh, you mentioned Boogie Nights earlier, Kyle. And I think there's a lot of parallels with Boogie Nights here. So... Boogie Nights, Life Aquatic, and City of God. I love all our trifectas today. And I loved having this conversation with you guys. Again, this is a long time coming. We've been planning this one for years. And I feel like, you know, we came together and and we did not have a very City of God upbringing growing up, going to the same high school, but at least we get to talk about it, right? (laughs) So uh, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say before getting out of here? Um. No, I mean, you know, check out all the other great podcasts on cageclub.me. Dan? Nope, I'm good. (laughs) Well, well, thank you guys so much once again. And, uh, you know, talk to you soon. Dan, we got to talk 187. And Kyle, you'll be on soon for something, I'm sure. That's our episode for today. Big thank you to Danny and Kyle for stopping by once again. And thank you guys out there for listening to our little Zoom call between friends. You know, obviously I had to cut out most of the inside jokes. I think we left some of them in, but most of the inside jokes 
talk about wives, girlfriends, kids, all that stuff. You don't care about that. You care about the movie. So thank you for listening to our chat about the movie today. City of God, a great one. If you haven't seen City of God at this point, I'm sure you'll want to see it now. Please watch City of God and let us know what you think on social media. Once again, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And thank you for your continued support as always. I know the episodes haven't been as regular lately, but you know what encourages me? When people come out of the woodwork and ask me, when's the next episode coming out? When are we going back to this format where it's just movies and people talking? Sorry, guys, all right? Life got in the way a little bit, as it always does. But we have some episodes recorded in the hopper, so you'll be hearing those soon, as well as some new awesome AAP episodes that I can't wait for you to listen to. Once again, check out all the other great shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network. But now, it's time for me to curl up in that sleeping bag, hit the hay, and hopefully wake up to a day where allergies do not exist. Oh, I shouldn't even said hit the hay. Though I think tree pollen is my bigger nemesis. <laughs> Regardless, let's leave you with Carl Douglas in a tune that I've loved since I was a child. Kung Fu Fighting. Later, friends. Oh, oh, oh. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with It's over. Go home. Go.